Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, The Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, Going Public With Your Faith. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Good morning. My name is Nora Montes de Flores, and me and my husband, Jorge, are worshiping with the Hillcrest family from our home in Austin, Texas, today. Today's scripture reading is from John 4, verses 27 to 32. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Does the saying, one sows and other reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They say to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Dios bendiga la lectura de su palabra. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Nora, for reading our scripture today. As you can tell from the um, video segments of this service today, we still have about 80% of our people who are watching online, about 20% of our people in the building, and whether you are watching online or you are on campus, you're part of this worship service and you're part of this church fellowship. So glad to have you here. Over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing of some efforts we'll be making at uh, uh, having the building ready for more people to come back, especially as we come toward Easter. And we want uh, people to come back when they're ready, but we also want people to come back knowing that we're taking care of your health. And so be watching for some of those special plans coming up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand it now as we study it, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these verses that Noah read to us present the second half of a story we started last week. In the first half, a woman's life was changed by her encounter with Jesus. But this story doesn't end with a single changed life. This story ends with a changed life changing lives. This woman went public with her newfound faith. 
Now, John doesn't preserve her name. She's simply known as the Samaritan woman. Catholic tradition tells us that her name was Saint Fotina, and that's likely speculative, but it's a beautiful name, Fotina, and it reflects what she does here because the name Fotina means luminous one. Are you a luminous one? Are you somebody who has gone public with their faith? When should we go public with our faith? And how should we go public with our faith? And what should we expect when we go public with our faith? These are some questions that we can ask and try to answer in looking at this passage. So first of all, when should we go public with our faith? Now last week in the first half of the a Samaritan woman's story, we saw her come to faith in Jesus. And you remember how she compared, or Jesus compared her longing for meaning and worth and significance to a thirst. And he said he could quench her thirst through the living water of his lordship. And so she placed her faith in him, we saw last week. And she would have resonated with the words of that Scotsman Horatius Bonner and his great hymn of the 1800s, I heard the voice of Jesus say, behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. So what happened next? Well, according to verses 28 and 29, we are told that she went public with her newfound faith immediately. And we need to do that as well. It's not a matter of coming to faith and then some months, some years later, when we have all our, uh, uh, the ability to answer all the questions somebody might bring to us, only then do we go public with our faith. She went uh, public with her faith right away, and we need to as well. Have you ever seen those uh, stunt shows on TV where uh, some stuntman is revving up his motorcycle, he's getting ready to go up a ramp and leap over 30 parked school buses, and just before he starts off on his stunt, the announcer says, don't try this at home, kids. This is for professionals only. I think this is the attitude that some of us have when it comes to sharing faith. We think it's for professionals only. It's just for pastors. It's just for professors. It's just for conference speakers, not for ordinary Christians like the rest of us. But Kevin Haney gives us a different perspective in his book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary Christians. Don't you like that title? Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. This book begins with his account of seeing one woman come up to another woman, and she says, smell my hair. And the second woman leans over and takes a big whiff of the first woman's hair. And what ensues is this conversation between the two women as the first woman extols the virtue of this shampoo that she just bought and the second woman who uh, Haney regards now as obviously her friend uh, asks her a bunch of questions and seems genuinely interested. And then Harney applies this to us. He says, we evangelize all the time. When we try a new restaurant that has amazing food, we want others to experience it. We'll even take them out. We'll pay the bill so they can enjoy our discovery. The truth is, when we're zealous about something, when we really love it, we talk about it. We invite others to experience it. We want to share the joy. Why is it that we can be more enthusiastic about a new restaurant than we are about Jesus? How is it that we can talk naturally about a hair care product or a sports team, but when it comes to the most important thing in our lives, our faith, we clam up? Those are some good questions from his book for us to ask. So, when we go public, when should we go public with our faith? We should go public with our faith immediately, right away. As soon as we have faith, 
we want to share it. But that obviously leads to the very next question, and, and that is how should we go public with our faith? If you are being urged, even as a brand new believer, to start talking about your faith, how do you do it? In a way that points to Jesus personally and universally. In a way that points to Jesus personally and universally. In other words, I'm, I'm talking about what scholars refer to as subjective truth and objective truth. Subjective truth is what you have experienced personally. And objective truth is true for everybody, whether they accept it or not. And we see both aspects of this kind of truth showing up in this passage. So notice how the woman in our story spoke of her personal experience with Jesus. When she went back to her town, she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She talked about how she had personally experienced this relationship with Jesus. And this is important for us to do as well. Now, if you have been raised in a church, particularly raised in a Baptist church, and you hear a pastor talk about the importance of sharing your testimony, what do you tend to think of? You tend to think of going back to that time that you became a believer, that you first made a decision for Christ, and talking about that with people. And that might be a really useful thing to do, or not. Depending on how long ago it was, it may not be all that relevant to the person you're talking about today. If you're in your mid-40s and uh, you try to talk with somebody else in his mid-40s about your experience as a seven-year-old coming to a relationship with Jesus, that may or may not be helpful. But what are you learning from Jesus in your present circumstances? Uh, why are you glad to have Jesus giving you hope and giving you guidance and giving you strength in what you're going through now? How does he give you worth and confidence that you didn't have before you became a believer in Jesus? These are the things that your co-workers or your friends or your neighbors or your family members need to hear from you. Look, the normal way that we build relationships is through an increasing disclosure of our history and our hopes. The normal way that we build relationships is through an increasing disclosure of our history and our hopes. And your history and your hopes include Jesus, right? If you're a believer, they do. And so if you're not talking about Jesus and your friendship, you're short-circuiting the normal process that you go through to build relationships with people because the normal process you go through to build relationships with people is through an increasing disclosure of your history and your hopes. So I'm not talking here about doing something that is artificial. I'm not talking about a sales pitch. I'm not talking about just sort of artificially shoehorning Jesus into any sort of conversation. I'm talking about an increasing disclosure of your history and your hopes like you do with anything else, and your history and hopes include a conversation about Jesus. But now, notice in this story how the truth about Jesus is presented objectively and not just subjectively. So the woman says, here's what happened to me. But at the end, what does her town say? We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we understand this man to be the Savior of the world. What an interesting phrase, the Savior of the world. They are making an objective truth claim there, aren't they? They are declaring something that is true about Jesus, whether anybody accepts it or not. Now, how do they get from one woman's personal story to a universal claim like that? Our passage says that this woman's personal story got them interested enough to come to Jesus. And for the next two days, this passage says, they persuaded him to stay for two days, and he and the apostles stayed in that town. 
And Jesus and the apostles got a chance to answer their questions and overcome their objections. And in that way, they concluded that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Now, the reality is, if you're brand new to the faith, you may not be ready to talk about objective truth. Your focus needs to be on subjective truth. In other words, what Jesus has meant to you, what Jesus has done for you. Because if you're brand new to the faith, you not, may not be ready to talk about the you know, three reasons for the existence of God or the five uh, defenses of the resurrection or why we call the Bible the Word of God and so on. Now, eventually you need to get to that point where you're increasingly confident to deal with the questions and objections that people bring you. And I could give you a long list of books to make you increasingly confident about that, but one of the most recent books I read is listed on your sermon notes. Your sermon notes are handed out to, or were handed out when you came in today, or you can find them uh, on your mobile device online, hillcrest.church bulletin. And there in the sermon notes, you'll find a recommended resource from Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin called Confronting Christianity. But here's the thing. Even if you're brand new to the faith and you're not ready to talk about objective truth and deal with defenses of the resurrection and so on, you still have the same resource this woman had. What, what kind of resource did this woman have? She had Jesus and the apostles who stayed two days in her village to answer questions and overcome objections that people had. You have that same resource. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this church. Here at this church, we study the words of Jesus and his apostles. Here at this church, we have people who are trained to help you understand the words of Jesus and his apostles. So what we want to be is a resource for you in you going public with your faith. As you talk about your faith with other people, if they ask questions or raise objections that you're not comfortable dealing with yet, bring them here, especially bring them here when we're talking about those very questions or those very objections, which we do from time to time. Bring them here when I'm leading a study through my book for seekers called the Anchor Course. We're going to be covering that book once again as an online course on the other side of Easter and there's an opportunity for you to bring somebody who's asking questions into that online course and, and have somebody deal with objective truth, even as you talk about subjective truth, what Jesus has done for you. You can have them uh, be able to deal with their questions and concerns as well. So we want Hillcrest to be that kind of place as you go about the process of being more public with your faith. In our story, this Samaritan village heard subjective truth and objective truth. They heard from this woman what Jesus meant to her, and they came to some conclusions themselves as they talked with Jesus and his apostles. Here's a third question. What can I expect? What can I expect if I go public with my faith? Verse 39 says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. And you may get that same response. Imagine a friend coming to faith because you went public with your faith. Imagine a coworker or a relative coming to faith because you were open about what you believe. But of course, we'd be wrong to conclude from this story that only good things happen when we're public with our faith. I want you to notice the last word in verse 39. The last word in verse 39 is the word testimony. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Do you know the Greek word from which we translate the word testimony? It is the word martyreo. What does that sound like? Martyr. Now these days we use the English word martyr simply to speak of somebody who dies 
holding to their faith. And in Jesus' day, the word martyreo was broader. It spoke about anybody who was enthusiastically and openly spoke about their faith, even to the point of death, but uh, up to the point of death as well. But it's sobering, isn't it, to realize that your martyreo, your testimony, could result in your martyrdom. Jesus was lied about. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was mistreated by those in power. Jesus was mocked even as they put him to death. Why would any of us be surprised if those who follow him experience something like that from time to time? So it may be that as you communicate your testimony, your martyreo, that somebody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you face opposition, if you face rejection, don't think you did it wrong just because you didn't get the same result as the, peop- as the woman in this story did. This woman's experience in this story helps us understand about what it means to go public with our faith. Going public with our faith, she answers the questions, when should we do it? Right away. How should we do it? In a way that is both subjective and objective. And what should we expect? We should expect God to do what God wants to do with our testimony. It might result in fruit in somebody else's life or opposition in our own life. But we're to share it anyway, and be patient and pray and let God do what he wants to do with the testimony that we communicate. You know, I like that line from that book, same kind of different as me. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who can save anybody. And I want to be that kind of nobody. And I hope you feel that way as well. But now before we wrap up, there's actually a fourth question that this passage can answer. We've looked at this woman's experience with her town, but we also need to look at Jesus' encounter with his apostles. And so here's the question I think this passage, we should ask of this passage, especially if we are group leaders, if we are deacons, if we are ministers, if we are program leaders in this church, if we are committee chairpersons, if we just show up at a business meeting and vote on how our church ought to spend money, we need to ask this question of ourselves. Are you ready? for the members of this church to go public with our faith? Are you ready for the members of this church to go public with our faith? If even a portion of us took seriously the example of this woman, are those of us who lead and teach and make decisions here ready for it? Now notice the interaction Jesus had with his apostles in this story. Jesus is not only trying to reach this Samaritan woman and trying to reach this town through the Samaritan woman, Jesus is trying to prepare his apostles to lead the church upon his departure. Back in the first part of the 20th century, a man named A.B. Bruce wrote a commentary on the four Gospels called The Training of the Twelve. Now think about that. As far as he was concerned, he looked in the four Gospels and he saw the Gospels as training manuals for those of us who lead. I wonder if you've ever looked upon the Gospels in that way. We look into this passage and we see how Jesus interacts with this woman and how this woman interacts with her town, but we also see how Jesus interacts with his apostles, training them and preparing them for what's going to come when he departs and they have to lead the church on their own. Now, we didn't see the apostles uh, last week when we looked at the first half of the story. They were off into town buying food, uh, buying lunch. And Jesus was as tired as he was. He was left alone by the well side. And that's when this woman came along and 
they engaged in conversation. But now in the second half of the story, while the Samaritan woman has run back into her town, the apostles have left the town and they're now by the wellside with Jesus. And uh, they say, Rabbi, we brought some lunch, have some lunch. And there's that humorous exchange where Jesus says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And the guy said, who brought him food? Did somebody bring him food? Did somebody come back early? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the one who has sent me. Now, Jesus was not saying that he was so supernatural, so otherworldly that he didn't need food. Jesus was human. He got tired. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He needed food. But he was talking about something that you and I have experienced as human beings. When you are convicted about something, when you're fully engaged in doing something, everything kind of escapes your mind, even food for a while, right? Jesus is saying that he is involved in something so fulfilling and so compelling, doing the evangelistic work that God had sent him to do, that it was like sustenance to his soul. You know, one of his books, John Burke, who's the pastor of Gateway Church here in Austin, says he gets frustrated when some Christian will come up to him and say, Pastor, me and my family, we're, we're leaving. We're just not being fed here. Every pastor hears that lame excuse for leaving a church from time to time. And Burke says what he wants to say to them is, oh, you want to be fed? Well, you get involved with me and with this church at reaching the lost and getting the unchurched involved, the unsaved involved, and you will find a sustenance that you've never experienced before. Now, Burke says he wants to say that. He doesn't always say that. But where did he get that idea from? He got that idea from this passage we're dealing with right here where Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What was the will of him who sent me? In this context, it was to reach people who needed the lordship and the, and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point in today's story, I imagine Jesus points his apostles' attention to the Samaritans who are coming now from the town back to the well. And those Samaritans in the first century, like most Middle Eastern people of that day, would have been wearing these white and brown and tan robes. And as they made their way toward Jesus, those white and tan robes were flowing, and billowing like wheat stalks in a field ready for harvest. And what does Jesus say? He says, do you say that there's this long gap between sowing and reaping? That's not the way it's going to be today, guys. You are going to reap on the same day that somebody sowed. In fact, I'm going to send you into a harvest that you had not worked for. Somebody else did the sowing. What is he speaking about there? Well, at least one person I know he's speaking about is the Samaritan woman who sowed her testimony like seed. And now these Samaritans are coming out to the apostles and to Jesus. And for the next two days, they get to harvest in a field they had not worked. But this woman had. This is what Jesus is revealing to us here. And so, so he tells these apostles to do something that you and I need to do. See, our, our passage today and my sermon today has mostly been about what you and I as individual Christians need to do with our, with, with our faith. We need to go public with our faith. But if people in our church, even a portion, go public with our faith, are we ready for that? We are if we'll do what Jesus told us to do. Take a look at John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields. Good decision-making in children's ministry. 
Good decision-making in youth ministry, good decision-making in senior adult ministry, good decision-making in music ministry all happens when we do that, when we open our eyes and we look at the fields. It's been said that generals are always fighting the last war. What that means is that when a new conflict breaks out, the generals just do what they were good at the last time a conflict broke out. They just use the same strategies. They use the same techniques. They use the same weaponry and equipment that brought them success in the past, even if conditions have changed in the new warfare that had broken out. I wonder if that's the reason why in almost every instance, the very churches and the very church leaders that are least prepared to be successful today are the ones who were successful in the past. They just continue to do the things that brought them success in the past, even though the battlefield has changed. They continue to do the things that brought them notoriety in the past, even though conditions have changed. What does Jesus tell us to do here? He says, open your eyes. And do what? Look at your former deeds? No. Open your eyes and look at the present fields. Look at, where G- look at where God is at work now and join him in that work that he is doing now. And you say, well, how do I open my eyes and see what's happening now? How do I see the fields that are around me now? Give me a conference I can go to, a podcast I can listen to, a book that I can read, Pastor. And there are conferences you can go to and podcasts you can listen to and books that you could read. I could suggest a number of them. But right here in this passage, we find out how to open our eyes and look at the fields. We need to find somebody who's public about their faith. We need to find several somebodies in this church who are public about their faith and get with them and spend time with them. And what happens then? Well, as we talk with them about the conversations they're having with non-believers, what happens We find out about the objections that people are raising about Christianity today, the questions that people are asking about Christianity today, the openness and the responsiveness that some people have toward Christianity today. Our eyes are open to the present-day fields and what God is doing now and how we can join him in that work. And if you do that over time, the tone of your life group lessons will change. The content of your prayers will change. What you decide to do for programming in your areas will change because your eyes are open not to your conquests in the past, but to the fields as they are now. And so this passage tells us that what we need to do as believers, every one of us, and what we need to do, those of us who are leaders in this church, every one of us need to be more public with our faith. When? Right now. How? subjective and objective truth. And what can we expect? We can expect God to do what he wants to do with our testimony. But if we are leaders in this church, if we are decision makers in our church, in this church, what we need to do is open our eyes and look at those who are in the fields and what those fields look like and adjust ourselves to what God is doing in those fields today, now. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Tom Goodman continues through the Gospel of John with a message titled, Invite Your World to Faith. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.